I think we got it fixed. I think we got it fixed. Um, appreciate y'all's patience. Wow. Wow, it's 11.25. That took us 20 minutes to figure out. Holy crap. Jeez. Louise. That is Looney Tunes, man. That's Looney Tunes. But I appreciate your patience, folks. Um, hopefully, it's going to be worth it. I've been looking forward to this segment uh, for the last couple of days because... Um, uh, this is just going to be fun. So, so, so we're now in overtime. We're off of the radio. This is our online only segment. Although, um, we are on the internet radio station in Huntsville, Unclaimed Mysteries Radio. So if you're listening to us that way, then appreciate you doing so. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we're going to go, we were going to save it for 1130 and do 30 minutes of other stuff. We have, we've got some other stuff ready for overtime, but since it's now 1130, we're going to go ahead and, and, and talk about this, talk about the stuff with Steven Crowder, because Steven Crowder has been making a huge, huge fuss about how his feelings have been hurt by a contract offer that he received from the Daily Wire. And so, you know, you know what we said? We said, well, we're union folks. We have experience. Adam and I have never actually bargained a union contract, but I read union contracts. I have to enforce a union contract. Uh, he has advised people who are bargaining contracts. Um, and, uh, uh, and we also got somebody who has actually bargained union contracts. Um, before and and so the three of us are going to review and see just how bad this contract offer is that Steven Crowder was given, and you know it must be bad because Crowder actually describes it as quote exploitative, immoral, and he calls it a slave contract. Wow, he calls it a slave contract. And so uh, the third person... You know, those things that slaves get, contracts. Right, right, right. The things that slaves get. Yes. Every, famously, famously, uh, slaves were able to... um, I just don't even want to even go there with this dude. Why? Why? Why bring up slavery, dude? Why, Stephen Crowder? Yeah. Famously, the slaves who got to negotiate over their working conditions. So... um, the third person that we got is a friend of the show, co-founder of the project, David Story. He has served his co-workers as a steward of the union, as a president of the local, and a member of the union bargaining committee. So he has actually sat down and written employment projects that people do have to abide by. And so he's got some amount of you know, understanding of employment contracts that even Adam and myself don't have. Uh, so I figured he'd really help us out as we're looking over this slave contract that Steven Crowder was offered. Uh, so David, you know, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Appreciate your patience with us this morning as we tried to get you in on the line. Oh, it's no big deal. <laughs> I've, I've spent several mornings doing that same thing. So Felt a little deja vu, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought y'all had those bugs worked out by now, but it's it's it's, it's a never-ending story. I know. Right, right. Yeah. 
so you know, uh, <laughs> before we we di before we actually dive into the contract, I want to just you know help David, you, and and the audience understand just how like perturbed Stephen is by this contract. Uh, because his voice is really gonna convey it even better than the words that the words exploitative and immoral and a slave contract. You know, those words are, are really, you know, they really punch you. But I think if you just hear his voice, you can tell how upset he is and the way that he's breathing. Um, and that his voice is, uh, you know, I, so anyway. Adam, let's play this where he's talking about just how bad, how upset he is about this. And I haven't heard these, so this is all new to me. All For right. the first time, I have to say that I believe many of those in charge in the right-leaning media are actually at odds with what's best for you, the viewer, the customer, uh, and more importantly, the country. <laughs> We here at Mug Club, we thought that we were all in this together, that we were fighting the, the, the media, entertainment, industrial complex. Um, we thought that we were all genuinely taking it to big tech. But too many of those in charge of the big conservative platforms um, are verifiably in bed with them. Big tech is in bed with big con. Wow. The people so I you thought, the people I thought <laughs> were fighting for you. A lot of it has been a big con. So here we go. Um, so, you know, I mean, did you hear how his voice, like, especially when he said the customer, <laughs> it's like he just almost started crying. Not there. the poor customers. Yeah. I mean, you could you could just really tell, like, this is a big deal for him and how offended he is by this contract and and even potentially, yeah, like how scared he is. Like, oh no, I'm not going to have, potentially I'm not going to have a benefactor anymore. I'm going to have to, you know, do this on my own or something, right? It's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Um, and so, you know, with that out of the way, with, you know, everybody now understands like how this is, a, you know, this is a really big deal, right? This is a really big deal to Steven Crowder. Um, so let's, let's actually go ahead and dig into the contract and we can start with, we can, let's just start with the time off because he really takes an issue with this, uh, with this about how little time off he has. Uh, and how it's really, you know, this type of thing contributes to burnout in the industry. So let's just, let's listen to, to how Crowder explains it. Don't sign something that has another $100,000 daily penalty. If it's not signed off on beforehand. You get a sick, you get hit by a car, you have a sick day. You can lose $100,000 a day. Anyone wonder why there's burnout in this? Anyone wonder why you have kids come up and they leave and never to come back? You think if you had that kind of a penalty, you think if someone said, hey, we're going to penalize you $10,000 every day you miss coming into work, you think you'd be stressed? This is worse than the left. <laughs> this is worse than the left. I, listen, y'all, I have to confess, <laughs> I have never wondered about the turnover in right-wing media. <laughs> I have never I've never wondered like why do these young guns come in and get burnt out? I just thought it was cuz they were spewing poison 
and it probably like ate at their soul and it just was not sustainable long term. But I'd never really thought about it deeply. So um, just which of them got burned out? I don't even honestly, I don't even know who he's talking. about. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there it's like a dime a dozen nowadays in that in that in that sphere. Right. right. Yeah. I don't see burnout being the problem. Uh, mm hmm. Not at all, and maybe and, even not enough burnout. Maybe right. I mean, he's probably probably these conservative right wing talkers. They don't work hard enough. Is probably the you know <laughs> there's too many of them, and they get too much money for doing nothing basically. Well, that that's what I was going to say. Okay, a hundred thousand dollar penalty. Okay, well we're already talking about money that's outside the norms for most any of us. Right. We're you know uh, a day. Right. Right. Yeah, and so. Right. And so let's, you know, he's he's saying his penalty is his penalty is a hundred thousand dollars a day. So what is he only is he only making two hundred thousand dollars for the whole year and maybe his whole his half of his income is gone if he's if he's uh you know missing one day, you know, that would actually that would stress me out. If I was slated to make two hundred thousand dollars in a year, but if I miss one day of work, I my income gets cut in half. So that would be stressful. Right. Uh, you know, and and that w and if that was the case, that would be stressful. But what he doesn't mention in there, when he's trying to make you feel sorry for him about how he's he would have burnout under this contract, is he doesn't mention that the contract offer was for fifty million dollars. So even mm. if you miss a day of work, you know, a hundred thousand dollars out of fifty million is like, well, you know. I can do without a hundred grand, right? If I really am not feeling good, if I get hit by a car, like he says, you know, I'm going to lose a hundred grand, but that's okay. I have 49,900,000 left, you know, so it's really not that big a deal. But also he doesn't mention that he has four weeks off that he can schedule at his leisure. And the contract is only for four day work weeks. So he has under this contract every single Friday off. This guy has a three-day weekend. He would have a three-day weekend under this contract, um, which would amount to, I figured this up, because most of us, you know, most working people have to work five-day weeks. And so if we only had to work a four-day week and we made the same amount of money, that would be essentially like getting every Friday off paid. And so I figured, you know, how much would that be, actually? And it turns out there would be, if you took, you know, four weeks off, other than those four weeks off, there would be 48 Fridays left in the year that uh, other people have to work that Steven Crowder doesn't have to work, right? And so that amounts... Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Right. That's true. That's true. But, you know, doing... Probably not a lot of work to just turn on a camera and spew bigotry for an hour or two. <laughs> just whatever stupid shit comes out of his head. So, you know, whatever it is that he does that he gets paid for, he doesn't have to do whatever it is that he gets paid for for almost four months out of the year. And he's getting $50 million over four years. So, you know, I mean, it, David, you have negotiated several contracts and we have and, and on this show, we've covered a lot of instances of people getting burnout, of people, you know, fighting over, you know, how many paid paid days off we have. Is that arrangement, you know, four-day work weeks plus four weeks of vacation, is that something that you feel like is going to be, like, 
uh, would contribute to burnout in an industry? I mean, I I don't know, man. I guess if you're like making a hundred million and they're offering you fifty, then yeah, <laughs> you know, I would be I would be distraught over that. <laughs> but I think most of most of our members would probably be jumping up and down. Yeah, I mean, even before you get to the salary part, just the the arrangement. You only work four days a week, plus you have four weeks of of paid leave. All right. I mean, at that point, like, as long as the salary is reasonable, we're we're in we're in business here. And to talk about fifty million dollars over four years is like, you know, that's the type of contracts you hear with like mega athletes. You know, not not even just your re- regular football player, or baseball player, but like your top tier. Uh, you that brings up a good point. I mean, where's this money coming from? What mm, what value yes. are they creating that generates? I mean, they're offering him fifty million, so that don't even take into consideration what they're they're assuming that they're going to make off of his labor. And what you know, and he's crying about the same thing that we've always fought over is someone squeezing the excess value of our labor. I get it, if you know, but there's a constant talk on the right about. Soros money, this, that, and other. Y'all know as well as I do, this show's not funded by Soros. It's funded by listeners and fellow unionists that believe in the movement. And there's nowhere near that kind of money coming in. So where is this? Where is this money coming from? Right. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, <clears throat> I'm skeptical of how much revenue is actually created with these things. Like, I know they sell advertisements and have product placements and all that garbage, but I, I, I don't see any way in which they could pay fifty million dollars for talent such as that without like huge infusions of money from from some oligarch families. I, I just don't see it. I, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's more money into in this industry than I am, you know, hip to. But I would just be shocked if the Daily Wire like had profits of, of that magnitude. It's pretty wild. Um, and you know, and and one of the things that um, one of the things that actually Jeremy Boring, the co CEO of of the Daily Wire, mentioned is that. Uh, Steven Crowder doesn't even know if he's ever been profitable because he has, in his response to Steven Crowder, he said that, you know, everywhere Steven has worked, he's never been independent. He's always had somebody paying his salary, paying his production costs, and he's never at, he has never actually had to balance a budget, right? It's always been subsidized by a company that is owned by a billionaire his whole career. And, you know, Jeremy Boring mentions that and is, you know, which is funny because almost certainly the same thing could be said for the Daily Wire. Um, yeah. And uh, Rai Rai in the chat mentions it as well, that uh, Daily Wire only recently became profitable. And they apparently right. admitted that the Blaze and Daily Wire used to be subsidized by billionaires. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and like I think about some of these other right wing outlets, like some of the magazines that are still around, the National Review. Mm. You know damn well the National Review ain't selling enough subscriptions right. <laughs> to be sustainable. Like, no regular person's out there buying the National Review. 
Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are projects that are funded by by this dark money, this oligarch money. Yeah. Uh, which is all the more reason why they shouldn't have it. <laughs> to what end? You know, right. the the thing is, like with us, with y'all, with several of the other shows on the left, there. There, there's an end game to it, and that's bringing in more members into the union. What's mm-hmm. the end game for right wing media or this this to get people to get people to vote for the right person? Exactly. So that kind of makes you wonder where the money's coming from, or kind of gives you a direction of where the money's coming from. Yeah. You right. know, it's 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 funded by politicians and their their mega donors, and there is no value that they're creating. And in your right. show, there's value. We're bringing in members. We're seeing more growth. We're seeing more solidarity. With them, it's all about votes. Well, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. There could be, you know, there's a certain amount of value that the mega donors could get. If, you know, if, if, I, as a, if I as a billionaire donate $100 million to this right wing whatever, and it gets enough people to vote for me a tax break where, you know, where I don't have, you know, it, it creates... You know, it creates a number going up in their spreadsheet. I don't value was probably too strong of a word, but you know, there's uh, somebody's getting a little bit higher of a number in their bank account. But you know, and he he's talking about this, and he talks about he he tries to shade his whole concern, uh, all of it. He tries to 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 shade it in to hide it behind. Oh, I'm concerned about other people, right? I'm concerned about other people, and that's what. And he says this about some of the other stuff that he has issues with, but also with the time off that he's crying about. He's like, and you, you know, he mentioned you wonder why there's so much burnout in the, in this industry and why we can't build a bench or whatever, uh, you know. And he's he's marketing this as if, oh, it's not even about me; it's about other people. But it would not surprise you to learn. That if you search on YouTube where he gets his main, you know, where his his main value comes from, which is going to be relevant in a bit. But if you search on YouTube, Steven Crowder rails. Steven, Steven Crowder rail strike, which we know on this program was primarily over sick days, which is something that he was so irate about. And so if he's actually concerned about other people just for the sake of being concerned about other people, you would think that he was all over this, all over attacking Joe Biden for doing the boss's will, for breaking a potential rail strike. You would think, you know, he's all the incentives to do this. But if you search on YouTube, Stephen Crowder rail, Stephen Crowder rail strike, nothing comes up. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and that's, that's what I was telling you this morning, Jacob, before we went on the air is like, I cannot... I struggle to put myself in like the same headspace as someone who is a a working person who listens to this and is a fan of this program, you know, listens to Steven Crowder and his program and hears this complaining about a $50 million contract and four weeks off and a four-day work week and hears this griping in comparison to slavery and, and just yeah. how do you how do you bounce back from that and continue like taking this guy seriously how do you right. tune in the next day to hear what he has to say right. that i really struggle with because i mean even even the most right-wing folks i know in my life have some sort of anti-elitist streak inside them right mm-hmm. and that's what a lot of these right-wing media folks play to how do you not just be repulsed by this um 
unless you are, you know, in that media industry or you're a fellow millionaire or billionaire, if you're just a regular working person, I don't know how you can listen to his uh, griping and complaining and take him seriously. Right. Well, and, you know, so David, like, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you look on, uh, because I, I, I've never heard of this guy before Jacob mentioned it the other day, but uh, so doing a little bit of research, I got on his Twitter page and seen where he shared that uh, I didn't want to have to do this, which was his, uh, <laughs> right. his diatribe about getting screwed for 50 million. But it looked to be most of his followers were pretty well taking him to task over it. So to answer your question, they see the hypocrisy in it. Now, you know, how long that lasts, I don't know. Yeah, right. We'll see. But you know, David, you like I, I mentioned. You know, one of the reasons the one of the reasons that, that we wanted to bring you on the show is just because we like you and we thought it would be funny. But also because, you know, you have negotiated union contracts, and and one of the things is over time off and how that's structured. And you know, here he is complaining about like almost four months of paid leave. Is that something that that your members get? Do your members get four months off every year? Well. When you were saying that earlier, I was kind of no, yes and no, because we just recently negotiated that four day work week, but it's of course 10 hours a day. So right. his days, I would imagine, are not going to be 10 hours to get those Fridays off. Right. Yeah, my guess is they won't. They'll probably be a couple, but no, yeah, I mean, but you know, and in, in, in fairness, we get more time off than four weeks, we get more paid time off than four weeks a year. Um, <clears throat> between our vacation, our sick pay, and uh, mm-hmm. our one-week Christmas shutdown that we, we get paid for. So, you know, I, but I, we're not making $50 million either. Right. I would, I, yeah. I, I, would, I would assume most, most of the, I know from, from, I can speak for myself. You give me that contract for two years, I'm done. I'll never work again. Yes. I don't, I, there's, there's no movement that I love enough to continue working uh for no amount of money after that, I'm done. It worked all, you know. It just it's it's over. Right. Yeah, it's it's amounts of money that's hard for me to even conceptualize. I mean, uh, you know, he's talking about a hundred thousand dollar a day. Well, I've never made a hundred thousand dollars in a year, and, right. and and most people won't. And if you're lucky, you're a worker who is in a union and is in an industry where you've been able to advance your salaries to where you are in the six figures. So I, I don't want anyone to think I'm knocking that by any means, um, because I think we, we talk to folks all the time in the trades or whether our machinists, folks who have been able to negotiate and bargain and advance their salaries to be closer to their worth, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a, that's what it is, is, is not that um, you have some folks are being overpaid it's that most folks are being underpaid, right? So, with the exception of these types, if he's if he's that butthurt about it, he's making a good case for why he needs collective bargaining. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe he can't gain what he needs through uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, the big con is keeping him beat down, and he needs to organize some of these people that he cares about into a collective bargaining. You know, I'm glad you said that, though, because 
that is one of the most common right wing things to say is that, well, you don't need to be in a union. You can you should just go negotiate yourself. Right. Mm. Be a, be an adult and go and talk to your boss and you can you can negotiate and know your worth. And, um, yep. you know, the the labor market and the supply and demand and you knowing your own worth, it'll all even out and, right. and you'll get the. Either you'll get the best deal or you can move on and go somewhere else for a better deal. Uh, that's what we're told. So, I mean, and this is a person who is more privileged and set up to do this kind of negotiation than the vast majority of human beings on this earth in terms of the resources mm-hmm. available to him. He can have yeah. lawyers. He could have he, – he could hire his own – Union veterans right. <laughs> who are literally seasoned negotiators to have on right. his team. Probably a lot of them would would be willing to do it for with the right, with the right of kind of money. Sure, and so it's yeah. yeah, it's just it's it's totally bizarre. And um, someone in the chat, a uh, writer I mentioned in the chat, um, there's speculation that this is all like publicity stunts. Right, that he is going to go independent and like set up his competitor to Ben Shapiro in the Daily Wire, and this is this is the. Um, the publicity stunt to get it going. My yeah. only thing with that is I, I would wonder if he already has other funding lined up. Um, mm. Because if he ends up walking away from a $50 million contract, um, yeah. either he has something really brilliant lined up or, or he is really dumb, just as big of a dumbass as he comes across. So the- you could hear it in his words. You know, yeah. when Jacob played that first, I've been there. I've sat on the other side of that table and, and listened to my voice sound exactly like his, and, right. and it's fear. Mm-hmm. And, there, and, and, and I'm not too big of a man to say I was not scared to death whenever I'm addressing some of the highest price lawyers in America and a CEO. You know, it, mm-hmm. there's fear. And he, he, he may have other plans, but there's fear in his voice. Yeah, yeah, I heard that too. And yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to some times where I was dealing with folks on the other side of the table that literally their salary was equivalent to, you know, several of me. Yeah. And they are part of a team, an entire team. And I'm right. like one guy and some, you know, a custodian. Yeah. And you're having, you're having to come up with bargaining notes on your off time in the bathroom, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah. So there, there absolutely is fear there. And yeah, it, it I, I heard it in his voice. I don't mm. think he was acting. No. So it's just kind of, it's kind of hilarious in a way yeah. <laughs> that he, he's feeling so, that fear, you know? Yeah. So let, Good. let's, I hope you do yeah. feel, feel the fear of right. being uh, screwed over in negotiations, even if you know, he's not really being screwed over right. by any objective definition. So the other thing that he really took issue with, and, you know, he, he took issue with not having enough time off or whatever, um, you know, and he also tried to cloak this in, you know, a concern for other people. But uh, the, the, the thing that he was most irate about was this bit about uh, the speech restrictions, uh, where they say that, you know, the contract states that, it, okay, you know, look, if you get kicked off of YouTube, then the amount of money that we're going to pay you is going to be less. And he is like, this is, you're just enforcing the big, you know, uh, we'll, we'll just let him explain it. Adam, let's play this last clip from Crowder. Let's start with the demonetization. If blank is boycotted or dropped by more than 50% 
of uh, the advertising partners, the company is not able to replace them within 90 days, the fee will be reduced by 25%. Uh, that's a sponsorship boycott. So that's saying, hey, 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 liberals, boycotts work. They work on our guys. We'll punish them for you. Let me go on. Specifically, YouTube demonetization. If any of the major platforms issues a content strike such that Crowder cannot be monetized on such platform and the company is not able to resolve the issue within 90 days, the fee will be reduced by 25% moving forward. So, you know, he is like, and here again, his voice is kind of shaking a little bit. Like, he's just upset about this. And so, to me, there are two kind of uh, comparisons that we can make to normal working people. And, And the first one is like, can David... Can most workers just say anything and everything that they want on social media or about their employer or about anything without any fear of penalty from their employer? I mean, you know, as well as I do, uh, they sent me home for two weeks and come close to terminating me for uh, threatening to burn the building down a few years ago. So, no, they, you, you you absolutely have zero free speech when it comes to an employer. Right. As the other uh, person on the call who's been disciplined for social media. Um, I guess, wow, that's funny. I'm the only one on the call right now who has not been disciplined for my social media. Although I have been called into my supervisor's office for my social media before. I haven't been punished. Yeah, well, I've only been a steward for about six months. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure I'm sure it'll happen. But but yeah, so this kind of thing, you know, just in general. And I think I think the three of us are very pro free speech. I think that absolutely I I think that workers should be able to say just about anything that they want and their bosses shouldn't be able to fire them. But that's not the world that we live in. And more importantly, Exactly. That's not the world. He does not fight for a world where working people have freedom from the tyranny of their bosses to speak their minds. Right. Right. That 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 is. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's one part of it. Okay. just the just the general principle of the thing. Free speech does not exist for working people. The other thing, though, is, is that since his job is speech, you know, theoretically, if he produces value or if he brings revenue into the company, you know, whether that's value or not, I think is is something, as we've said before, that's debatable, right? But the thing that he brings into the company is going to be by virtue of the fact that people hear him, right? And so he's dependent on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all these places, he's dependent on them to create the revenue. And so if he is not able to create the revenue, he still thinks he's entitled to his full compensation. And that would be as that would be like the same thing as like, like David, if you actually burn down the building and then you expect to still have your job the next day, right? Because you've totally destroyed your ability to create revenue for the company which is the same thing he would be doing. If he just, if he gets taken off of YouTube, taken off of Apple, he has totally destroyed or at least severely limited his ability 
to create revenue for the company, and he still expects to be paid $50 million or more. So, you know, David, is is that in your contract? Can you just go around destroying your ability to create revenue, destroying the means of production, and, and still have a job and still get paid the same? No, that's not in our contract. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy to negotiate. <laughs> Come to terms. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it all goes back to the same thing that we preach all the time. And the right thing that they... That they, especially among the libertarian cast and flag wearing top, that they're the most intelligent people on earth. And I cannot, for the life of me, understand how these people can't see the hypocrisy, the constant fucking hypocrisy uh, of being torn into two different directions, complaining about working people in one hand and then complaining about. The business deal that you're getting in the next it's right 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 i mean because it's it's just so unreasonable no one in any normal working situation would would even think it it, it would it wouldn't even cross their mind to assume that yeah i could like mess up one of the machines on purpose and uh, <laughs> still be okay at work. Like everything's going to be fine. Or even on accident. I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm a, I'm a driver. I'm going to lose my driver's license. I'm sure I'll still have a job, right? Yeah. Like no one, no regular person is going to even assume that that's going to work out for them. Okay. Um, Much less assume that that is some grave injustice that like, <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, right. like, you know, like. I mean, me personally, I believe in a federal job guarantee. I think everybody ought to have a job if they want one. So sure, you know, if things don't work out for Stephen Crowder, I want him to be able to get a job. Maybe he could like, you know, upgrade some national parks or something. But, you know, I, it's just, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, to, the driver, like losing his driver's license to me is kind of mm -hmm. an equivalent because YouTube is like, so essential to the business model that they have. Right. And so, yeah, if you screw things up and you get kicked off YouTube, you can argue that it that YouTube is being unfair or whatever, and I'm sure they would. But that doesn't change the fact that there goes a lot of revenue. Exactly. And that's just it. That kind of speaks to what he was saying earlier about he's never been an employer. He's always been employed. Well, that, that pretty well goes to... The, speaks to the way he feels right now. You can tell he's never actually had to negotiate as an employer or looked at the side of the employer. As most people that negotiate contracts do, we always play, you know, the devil's advocate and say, what is the company's best defense against what we're asking for? Right. He's mm -hmm. not done that. He can't no. grasp that. Right. And, and, you know, when you're really cooking is when you're able to, Think in terms of how is, how is the company, how is the employer thinking? Now, how can we advance what the workers need in such a way that they'll buy into it and they'll even see it as a positive for them, right? right. Where can you find the win-win situations in a negotiation? Um, and he is just, you know, he's just not done that. And you know, like the, you know, people call unionists lazy or entitled. And actually, I just saw a tweet the other day by... The foundation of uh, elementary economics, or something, 
Um, and they said that unions, quote, artificially inflate, unquote, wages. Uh, you know, and it's just like these these people will go around talking about how, oh, if a union worker makes 30 to $50 an hour or something like that, that's just this huge grave injustice. They're entitled. They're lazy. And here's this guy, you know, parading like they are sing- daily. The Daily Wire is single handedly destroying the conservative, you know, intellectual movement by saying that, hey, you know, if you lose revenue for us, you're going to have to take some of that hit in addition to us, right? We're not going to be the only ones to take a hit for this. You do too. Like the idea that he's entitled to at least $50 million a year is just amazing. Right. But, you know, again, that's only for me, not for thee. Right. Of course. Uh, That doesn't apply to anyone else. It's just just for me. Just my own situation, my own pocketbook. Um, Someone mentioned in the chat is ideology of me, and I mm. think that is uh, absolutely it. Um, there's, I think that's pretty essential to the propaganda that that they put out day in day out. Is that there's really no one more important than your own self interest, and just listen to us because we have your self interest in mind. Yeah, and it's just hard to. Yeah, it's hard to uh, take any of that seriously. I mean, and it's just, to me, it's very shocking the amount of money that's involved in this. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. And and disturbing and all the more reasons why uh, we need to tax the wealthy at the very <laughs> least. Like, I've got other ideas, but, you know, if yeah. we could just make them pay taxes, that would be a start. That would be a start. Yeah. That would be a start uh, because... When you have oligarchs who can bankroll their own media projects, you don't need strict government censorship. Yeah, and that's something that you know folks like to talk about a lot, both in history and in the contemporary world, in terms of authoritarian regimes or censorship of press by Putin's government or by the Chinese government, for example. Yeah, and in the United States. I'm not going to go go so far as to say there's not censorship because I believe there is, but um, in some ways it's not as important because you can just flood the marketplace with bullshit. Right. You can overload people's like inputs, um, and I think that's a different approach, but accomplishing some of the same goals, right, in terms of controlling what people hear, what people believe what people think and how they act on those thoughts. Um, I think they're accomplishing some of the same goals that any authoritarian regime would, would want to accomplish. It's just done a little differently. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like David had to jump off. Uh, I don't know if we lost David or if he had to jump off. Okay. That, yeah. Well, I, David, I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, I think that was enjoyable. And I do one more. Th- I just want to wrap up by saying, just in case we get any crowd of people who watch this clip and they're thinking that we're not being fair to him because he said, and now I have no idea how this could be the case. That would just be like bonkers Looney Tunes. But he says that he needs that 50 million at least to cover the costs of production because he has a... A twenty-five member production crew, or whatever. Now, 
that seems, or because he would need a 25 member production crew. And now that just seems on the face of it, impossible. Impossible to believe that there are 25, that there could be 25 people working on such a thing. Um, but it really defies it really, logic. really strains credulity. But even let's just grant him that he's not lying, you know, just just pulling stuff out of his ass. Let's just grant it that it's gonna take 25 people. If you divide 50 million by 25 people, that still leaves two million per person. That means that each person could make. $500,000 a year if everybody made the same, and which would almost certainly not be the case. He would probably make way more than everybody else because he's a special snowflake, right? But it would be very easy to structure it such that nobody makes less than six figures. None of these 25 people, right? And so it's still not, I, I you know, I'm still not impressed by- No, I'm not buying you know, it. Not uh, by you know the the uh, the degree to which he would be burnt out, as he says. So yeah, and Ryan in the chat says I think he has seven people currently. Yeah, so, so he thinks he needs to triple more than triple his staff to do. My understanding is the same thing, right? The same program. I I don't know. He, I don't know. He's, maybe I, it's gonna yeah, they're gonna spice it up a little bit, but um, yeah, it's bonkers. Looney yeah, tunes. if anyone tunes in to this video and you listen to Steven Crowder, tell us why. Yeah, tell us I, why. I'm genuinely curious as <laughs> someone who um, finds it bizarre and, you know, I'm not as online as a lot of folks are these days. And I really try to pick and choose the right-wing media that I monitor. I, I of course, consume, I look at all the different sides in the media world and I try to, you know, get a good balanced diet to see what people are saying. But I have to to limit the amount of right-wing hate mongering that comes into my brain. So Steven Crowder is not someone I, I pay attention to. So if you do, let us know why. I really, I'd love to hear it. And it, especially if you are a working class person, like you literally don't employ other people, mm. that would be nice to know. Just let us know. Absolutely. Um, so we got a uh, we got a, a comment on a video last week um, that we did about uh, about you know uh, the the privatization of public schools, which we have been very vocally and uh, unashamedly against the privatization of public schools. Um, we make no bones about that. We're very clear about that. We are against that. And and the privatization of public schools goes by another name, school choice. And so we made a video about that. Or we did a segment on the show and we cut it up and, and put it out there. Uh, and we got, a, uh, we got a question from a Tom asking if there is ever a place for quote-unquote school choice. Is there ever a place for school choice? And so I told him that I'd ask you, Adam, about this, because I think he asked, I, I think he asked it in good faith, um, it, sure. uh, it seemed to me. And, and, yeah. um, and so I, I told him that I would ask you, Adam, what you thought about it, because my instinct is that my instinct is to be opposed to any privatization but that I can conceptually, I can conceive of a use case for a publicly 
you know, owned and operated charter school meant to be a, uh, a, a an experimental testing ground for interesting pedagogical, you know, new pedagogical methods for students. And, you know, I could conceive of a use case for that. Um, and, and so, you know, I, while I would not, while I would definitely be, you know, tend to be against any forms of privatization or, or giving public schools into private hands in any, you know, in, in any way, you know, I can conceive of a way that you could get me on board with a one particular project. But, uh, but, you know, I have not been, I've not spent most of my, you know, most of my activist work, most of my union work in the education field. So I wanted to, I wanted to see what you thought, Adam. And, and I told him I would. So, so Adam, what do you think? Is there ever a case for quote unquote school choice? I think for school choice as a shorthand for a right-wing program of privatization, no. Um, I think school choice a little bit more broadly defined. There, there very well can be places for that, and I'll give you an example. Some school districts allow choice within their district. Uh, for example, in a city or a county district, you may normally have to live in a certain part of town or per part of the county and you're zoned for that particular school, right? It's a neighborhood school setup. Uh, some districts allow choice within their school system. So perhaps you're more interested in the school on the other side of town. Uh, and this may be relevant if the schools themselves have unique programs, for example. Um, Athens City Schools is an example where each elementary school has kind of a different theme and a different little uh, twist on things, right? You may have a STEM-based school and then one that's uh, a little bit more along the lines of the arts. Uh, so I can see some room for that. Uh, obviously, that's not what folks typically are meaning by school choice. Um, to your point about charter schools, charter schools in theory as they were originally theorized, essentially followed on that model, right? They were thought of as a means to experiment um, and to innovate, to have controlled settings more or less for these innovations and experiments, um, particularly targeting certain populations that were not being well served. So, uh, the, the classic example I remember from like the origins of charter schools, which includes from uh, AFT, right? I mean, union folks were, were thinking about these things. Um, the idea would be like a public charter school that serves high-risk youth who are at risk of dropping out. And maybe at this charter school, they have some flexibility on their scheduling Maybe they're not locked into an eight to three schedule with seven periods a day at 52 minutes, right? You know, maybe there, there are things that they need to do to accommodate students, uh, whether it's curriculum or logistics or structure of scheduling or, or however that may be. I can see a place for that. And there are charter schools that exist in the United States that are public in terms of they're still publicly funded and, and theoretically publicly owned. Um, and that aren't that bad, right? They, they more or less do what they're supposed to do and, uh, kids are benefiting. 
I would say that's certainly not all of them. I don't even think that's the majority of them by any means. But there are some decent charter schools out there and that kind of stuck to that mission of experimentation, innovation, maybe targeting uh, certain types of students or targeting certain types of curriculum, for example. Uh, I'm okay with some degree of that because I think our public schools are very rigid in a lot of ways. However, that is very different from a conversation about how can you reduce funding to public schools, which is the end result of these schemes for vouchers and charters, um, education savings accounts. There's various names. Uh, the Alabama Accountability Act has scholarships, for example. All of these are different means that have the end result of reducing funding to public schools uh, and therefore reducing resources available to the students and staff inside the public schools. Um, and we've talked a little bit in the past how often that you will siphon off not just the funding, but some of the students and families. Mm. And so the schools, the students left in the public schools are often the, the more challenging ones, right? Right. The private schools are, are less prone to accept students with disabilities or students who don't speak English as a first language, uh, students who have behavioral challenges. You know, private schools are not inclined to accept those students, uh, and they're private. They don't have to, unlike the public school. So, and I know there, of course, they can't violate law, federal law in terms of discrimination, but w we all know. There's what's on paper and then there's reality. There's plenty of ways to discriminate without necessarily uh, giving your victim a clear EEOC case. And so mm -hmm. all that to say school choice is a is a rhetorical device that is used to advance an agenda of privatization where what was public becomes private. And that does not work for education. It doesn't work for kids. It never has, and I don't think it ever will. And I think there's plenty of research to show that is just the fact of the matter, that these school choice schemes may serve some families and some students in some cases. I'm sure we can find them. Uh, but they're the exceptions, not the rule. And for me, I don't think you sacrifice the few. I mean, I don't think you sacrifice the many for the few. And, and just because a handful of families may have their needs better served under some of these programs doesn't justify everyone else being worse off as a result. Um, and that's, you know, that's what's so unacceptable about it, because ultimately they point to some of the and sometimes, in some cases, exaggerated, in some cases, real flaws or issues within the public school system as it currently exists. And their proposals all make it worse. Mm. They all <clears throat> cut the funding. They all reinforce some of the issues that are in place already. Um, and so that's that's how I feel about it. I mean, so if you tell me you can find a charter school in Timbuktu somewhere and they're doing a good job and, you know, it's not corrupt and the kids are learning. I'm not going to argue with you. That could be very well the case. 
there are some charter schools out there. They're doing a pretty good job. But by and large, uh, it's not about helping kids. It's about money. Public education is one of the last remaining uh, pieces of our welfare state in this country, and therefore it takes up a disproportionate amount of our budgets. I mean, if you look at the state of Alabama, we have an entirely separate budget just for education, and it's in the billions of dollars. And when capital, when capital sees those kind of dollar amounts, they see opportunities. They want that money, that public money, in their private pockets. Yeah. Um, so there's the economic aspect to it, and then there's the you know, more social and cultural aspects to it, uh, that segregation is absolutely a big component of this, both racial and otherwise. Um, segregation for religious reasons, segregation for political reasons, um, issues of gender and uh, sexuality and ability and all those come into play. Uh, it's not about helping kids. It's not about helping teachers. It's not about helping the communities in which those teachers and, and students live. It's about segregation. It's about money. Yep. So a nuanced take there, but still, you know, definitely generally on one side. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some feedback from the listeners. I wanted to make sure that I saw uh, that I read off this super chat that we got uh, about a, uh, at, at about 11. Uh, we weren't able to. Yeah, that's as we were like crashing. Yeah, as we were <laughs> crashing. So just want to make sure I read that off because I appreciate the $5 donation from Mighty Mulatto. Uh, when I hear immigrant, I think of exploitation, those sexual shenanigans in the poultry plants in Mississippi come to mind raids weeks later. Um, and it's funny, I literally was talking to Adam about those raids this morning where, and, and for those that don't know the backstory there, there was a, a union poultry plant in Mississippi, uh, that won $2.5 million sexual harassment case. And immediately after that, immediately, like, you know, he says weeks later, and I think that's accurate, ICE comes in there and uh, arrests 600 workers for being undocumented. And so, you know, it's like, theoretically, the tip was anonymous and we don't know who did it, blah, blah. But, you know, let's let's be real, right? right? You know, like you just said, Adam, there's things on paper and then there's actuality and there's real life. And this was a real life example of bosses using law enforcement, using ICE as a whipping stick, as a, as a way to say, you stood up and said that I couldn't sexually harass you on the job. It's not even, we're not even talking about oh, these people are getting uppity, they want higher wages, or maybe they want more time off. It's like, these people, this was just a fight about whether or not you could go to work and not be sexually harassed. Right. And they came back and used ICE as a weapon. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Just absolutely disgusting. Absolutely and disgusting to, to yeah, to, to use... A broken immigration system and a an oppressive law enforcement agency to come in and, and and do that to your employees in retaliation is just beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, so, and the, the question is, what well, what kind of accountability would would ever 
come across for the people responsible, right? right? And, and and nobody in that, you know, because theoretically, even before this new guidance from the Department of Homeland Security, theoretically, it is legal for workers to enforce their rights. And it is theoretically, even if they're undocumented, and it is theoretically illegal for bosses to interfere with their rights and to use the immigration system as a negotiating or bargaining or retaliatory tactic. Like, that's supposed to be illegal. But I'm not even aware of any investigation having been done, nor am I aware uh, about that, about the bosses using ICE as retaliation, nor am I aware of any supervisors or managers or executives of this poultry plant being prosecuted for using undocumented labor. Because not only is it illegal for undocumented people to work, it's also illegal to hire them. And so theoretically, you arrest 600 people, that should be, each one of them should have, you know, should have, or, you know, not should in a moral sense, but legally speaking, they would have one count of, you know, whatever, whatever. The manager, the executive should have 600 counts of that. But I'm not aware of anybody in management or at the executive level of that company having been, um, having been, ha having faced any consequences for that at all. Right. And I'm not aware of it happening much at all, period. Uh, and that's something I've even had conservatives tell me that uh, they think it's kind of wild that the workers are punished. The workers can be arrested. The workers can be deported. Their whole family's disrupted. Um, but the employers, the ones who are actually hiring undocumented labor, they seem to never face any real consequences. Um, and it's funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there were a couple, couple of things about uh, education that y'all mentioned in the chat. Yeah, yeah. That I wanted to to also respond to because I, you know, smaller class sizes absolutely are a proven benefit, and that's why so many teachers' unions uh, fight so hard for those year after year because of the way it impacts working conditions, the way it impacts learning conditions, right? That's one of those most clear examples of where the teacher and the student have real common ground there because a class, mm -hmm. I can tell you a class size of 15 versus a class size of 30 is, is night and day, right. night and day in terms of the workload on the staff member and in terms of the learning opportunities inside the classroom. It just makes a huge difference. And so I uh, definitely agree with that. Uh, Christine mentioned a third of us can hardly read, and uh, there is some significant problems with literacy in this country. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that, I mean, um, and I, I don't think Christine is implying this either, that that's rationale to attack the public school system. I think it just shows us what work needs to be done. Um, and in terms of the KIPP schools, that's one of the most well-known chains of charter schools. That's that's something else that's pretty creepy about these is, it, you know, there's chains. Mm. Um, we had Terry Michael on a couple months ago talking a little bit about conversion charter schools that are in place in Alabama, at least are legal in Alabama, uh, where conceivably a charter school chain could come in and take over a part of your school like a part of your building that's not being used. Um, it's pretty wild. So, um, you know, the much easier way 
a much more simple way is to fund an appropriate free public education for every kid and do what's right by them. Talk to the educators who are the experts, ask them what they need, and get it for them. Small class sizes, let them shape the curriculum, let them shape what's being taught. Um, it's, it's really, it's not rocket science. Um, most of this stuff has been pretty well documented for decades, like the links between poverty and test scores, for example. Uh, that's not new. We've known about that for a very long time. So when we say, when we hear like Alabama's Governor Kay Ivey say that Alabama's test scores are now going to move up into the top 30 oh, before wow. the end of her term, she says. Right? right. <laughs> um, how are you going to do that if you're not going to address the socioeconomic factors that play into those scores? Alabama ranks at or near the bottom in test scores in our schools because Alabama ranks at or near the bottom in every metric of quality of life. Yeah. Right? It's it's not – you can't just separate it out. And that's also where AEA and some a lot of the education community is failing as well because you have to have a holistic approach because there are holistic results. I know it's inconvenient to talk about how race and poverty uh, and – corporate subsidies and how these things impact schools. It's much easier to try to separate those conversations and silo it off. Uh, but it's not real. You're, you're, you're not, you're not addressing real life if you're not addressing that. Yeah. So, you know, Kay Ivy, please explain to me, how are you going to get our test scores into the top 30 while maintaining the status quo mm -hmm. in every other aspect of our life? Yeah. William in the chat says, don't, I don't like the lottery system for students to attend right. charter schools. Me that either. seems like a neoliberal way of admitting children so that they could get a quality education. Indeed, Christine It also is, and says, it's also like an admission, right? We're basically right. admitting, okay, this is a better be, education, right. but not everyone's going to get it. Sydney Vogel in the chat says, outlaw private schools and watch public school funding skyrocket when rich kids have to go there. Not a bad I idea. I believe that's how it is in Finland, actually. It is, yes. Um, Free American 2020 says private schools should be required to take the same standardized test that public education takes. And that is absolutely the case at minimum. You know, like if we can't, you know, the, that's actually one of the th one of the reasons, one of the things that people put forward as an idea that, oh, we should have more private schools or school choice or whatever, because they want less government oversight. And it's absurd that we should not have oversight over where our children are being taught. That's bonkers. Right. Oh, they, well, we, they want money for it, but they don't want the oversight that right, should right. normally course, come with those funds. Uh, he also says, how do we free – well, I mean, he I, – I really don't know. Presum I mean, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know the gender of Free American 2020. But um, private, school, uh, private schools do not want poor minority English as a second language, special ed, discipline challenges. We mentioned that. That's yeah, absolutely, absolutely the case. And, he says and there's that, systemic – Exclusion yes. of those kinds of students in state after state after state. How do we know children aren't leaving a failing public school and going to a failing private school? And that's actually an under, like, something that's under-discussed is the degree to which, you know, private and charter schools actually don't help as much as they're advertised. Right. And we've talked about that yeah. before. Sydney Vogel in the chat says in 2020, in 2040, there won't be schools anymore, just Uber teach. Oh, God. It seems to be the, the trend, right? That's what they want. Yeah, for sure. Um... 
Uh, luckily, teachers unions, Sydney says, are strong and generally well supported by parents and voters. Uh, although free American counters, that AEA is a dirty word in Alabama, and that is that is the case. Uh, so you know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But appreciate the conversation about education in the comments. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we've got a couple of of things here left to do, and so let's we'll, we'll just we'll listen to this voicemail. Sure. And then, do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about, or maybe we can do both, or maybe we can save one for the next one, but uh, we've got this clip about this this fellow wanting to raise the retirement age, and we've also got advice from Jordan Peterson about how to negotiate for a raise. Which one do you want to do after we listen to this voicemail? Hmm. Uh, I think this, this save the Jordan Peterson one, I don't want to get into that one. You know, it's already it's already 1230. Yeah, I don't, don't want to get started with him. Yeah, we could go um, on for a while about that. Before I play the voicemail, I did want to... Uh, respond to something else uh you see i believe uh yeah free american mentioned about aea is a dirty word and they were kind of having that conversation there um it's probably worth mentioning for those of you not super into alabama politics the alabama education association it is an affiliate of the nea so on paper it is the teachers union and the largest one in in the state but that's on paper. They are very clear, and by they I mean the leadership of the AEA and, and have been for a very long time. They are very clear they are not a union, that they are a professional organization or a professional association. Uh, they take quite a bit of offense if you suggest otherwise. And in fact, they when they do spar with right-wing folks in public, it's, you know, a lot of times like, that's part of the issue is like, oh, don't call us a union. We're not a union. Um, and that's like their line of defense. Uh, we're a professional organization. And so, um, you know, that's just worth considering that I, I think Alabama educators do not have a legitimate labor union in the sense that educators in, in other places in this country and other places of this world really have. Um, now, we do have AFT down in the Birmingham, Jefferson County area, and they operate a little bit differently. But, you know, the funny thing, though, is that in certain right-wing circles, AEA is still a dirty word. And AEA is still seen as like this uh, all-powerful, shadowy, left-wing mm -hmm. interest group that's pulling strings down in Montgomery. And having worked there, I can, I can assure you um, there ain't much of that that's true. It ain't left wing. It ain't very powerful. It ain't controlling things in Montgomery. Um, it's not woke. It's not progressive. None of those things are accurate descriptors. Um, you know, so the image of AEA that right wing media sometimes puts out, it's, it's not true and it, it doesn't match reality. And those who've been on the inside know that, uh, you know, if only they were as powerful and left-wing as, as they're made out to be. Um, but that still gets a lot of play. AEA used to be a lot much more influential in state politics, and so some of that's just residuals from an earlier era uh, that no longer really applies. But, yeah, I wanted folks to know that just just because I, I do – I agree with Sydney that teachers' unions, by and large – are pretty strong compared to a lot of other sectors of the economy. 
right? Teachers are, are heavily unionized compared to most workers. Um, and in most cases, by and large, they, they enjoy public support. We, we've seen this in certain struggles, like in you know the historic Chicago teacher strikes. They wouldn't have been as successful without parent community support. Uh, we need organization in Alabama. Rank and file educators have to organize in Alabama, and it's going to have to come from the bottom up. And that's all I'll say on that. Agree. Let's listen to this uh, uh, voicemail that we got uh, last week. It'll be Absolutely. quick, uh, but wanted to let him know that I appreciated it. Hi, the- my name is Mark. I live on the West Coast, but I have spent the first 21 years of my life in the red clay and the wiregrass down in uh, between Montgomery and Troy, Alabama. I wanted to say thank you for being in the struggle and providing a place where people can hear about the work that's going on to bring worker power back to the forefront in American working life and in politics. And as a worker who is uh, helping to organize the grocery store chain out here on the West Coast that I work for, um, I wanted to say all solidarity. And it just does not good to know that amidst all of the um, the things that can go wrong in a state like Alabama, that there are workers joining together to struggle together to fight for a better world. So uh, union power and, and solidarity to you from, uh, from Portland, Oregon. Wow. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I believe that you kind of cut out when you said your name, but I think it was Mike from, from, from Portland. Is that what you heard, Adam? Yeah, I believe so. And, um, yeah, spent many years in Alabama. So, uh, appreciate you still taking an interest in Alabama. Um, you know, you've made it out to Portland. Uh, I hope things are going well in Portland because that's definitely, uh, um, different world out there, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But wow, yeah, I really appreciate your words of support and kind words and always keep that coming. <laughs> yeah, if if folks want to call in and say something nice, like you're always welcome to do that. Uh, you can call in and, and complain too. Uh, we'll take those calls. Yep. But uh, yeah, appreciate that very Thank much. You. Thank you. So let's go ahead and, and wrap this up for, um, for the day with this another fun clip I mean it, it's fun it's 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 funny in how absurd it is but it's scary in that there's actually a chance that they're going to be able to do this um, that is a very very far from zero percent chance that this is going to happen uh, and what am I talking about I'm talking about cutting social security by raising the retirement age um, that is what some people want to do, and that is what this Republican congressperson wants to do. And he says, in part, well, I'll just I'll just let him explain it. Let's play this clip. Uh, before I play, I just want to mention that we, we mentioned, well, we didn't mention today, but perhaps next week we can talk a little bit about the international implications here because France is actually experiencing a very similar thing mm. right now with the Macron neoliberal mm-hmm. government attempting to raise the retirement age. Uh, And we're seeing quite a bit of militancy in response from the labor movement in France and and workers more broadly. So uh, this will be an interesting, I I think, story to to keep our eyes on how the retirement issue 
plays out in the United States versus France versus some other countries where uh, I believe in the UK it's, it's coming up as well. So, you know, we'll see. I, I think it's it's important that we as workers recognize our common interest and in where we're going through these common struggles uh, despite national boundaries. So that preamble out of the way, let's hear what this Republican has to say. What reason the age of retirement? You know, uh, that's interesting uh, that you asked that question. Uh, people come up to me, they actually don't work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's on the table you're saying? Well, you know, uh, if people want to work on it, maybe you need to give them an incentive to do it. Okay. Yeah. That's hey. the way to solve every one of these problems, by the way. I know, I know. And actually, uh, roll well at the same time. Mm-hmm. Just take that right there. So, so people are actually coming up and telling him he want that they want to work longer, uh, and so, so he, you know, I, I guess there are a couple things there, and and the first one is that, um, is that, and now you know, look, I, I think you know maybe it, it's perhaps the case that I'm too online, and maybe out in the real world there's some big communist government rule and regulation that actually prohibits you from working after you're 65 uh and maybe that's maybe that's the case and then i would avoid i i would i would probably oppose that and and say that you should you should have the freedom to do some sort of labor if you want after 65 and so maybe i'm just too online to know that that's the case adam i know that you're more in the real world maybe than i am you're less online is that it, is something happened that I've missed that is that is actually prohibiting people from working uh, past 65? Yeah, it's called systemic age discrimination by capital. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, having run across the government <laughs> dictates that say you must stop working uh, at a certain age. But now companies make it pretty clear how they value folks um, past a certain age. So, but... Uh, having a retirement age and then like having a retirement age that you hit and okay, this is your full pension, right? That's not the same as saying you must retire at that time. <laughs> um, plenty of folks are, are working past 65 and 67 and right. into their 70s if they want to do that. And that's my distinction is if someone wants to do that, uh, and I know plenty of people who are like that who say they want to keep working because they're enjoying it and they're still healthy and it keeps them busy and they get money and okay if that works for you that's great um unfortunately there are a lot of folks who are working well past what should be a, a decent mm-hmm. retirement age with dignity uh because they have no other choice and they can't afford not to and and that that is a a real real problem that our uh republican uh congressman there Seems a little ignorant to you, yes. um, because I I believe that anyone who, if legitimately anyone has ever told him these things, which mm-hmm. this who knows, uh, but if anyone's ever made comments to that effect, I would assume it's like the people I'm describing who say, "Yeah, I don't plan on retiring yet. I'm still having fun." I mean, we all know that guy who who says that, right? There's always that guy, especially if they're in a nice office job. Um, uh, someone in the chat mentioned try being a bricklayer or a roofer when you're in your 60s. Uh, a little bit different. I don't know many folks in those blue-collar trades who are that uh, right. that pumped to work into their 70s. So, uh, But it is concerning. It is, it's very concerning, though, that they're looking at 
attacking Social Security yet again and, and going after the retirement age potentially. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and that's the and, and that's the thing is that obviously even if somebody is going up and saying because you know, because I don't know that I'm I'm going to necessarily stop doing when I turn 65 or 67, I think, you know, Lord willing, if, if nothing happens, I'll be able to actually retire at 57 because that's when I'll be able to retire with my full benefits from my job and, and be able to retain my employee health care. So that's when I plan on retiring. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't intend to in, unless, you know, unless my health declines to such a degree that I couldn't, but I don't intend to just stop doing, but I do intend the the second that I can to stop working to live, right? And and that's of course the case for anybody, is that nobody is nobody is coming up to this person and saying, make it uh make it more difficult for me to survive my senior years. <laughs> right. Which is ultimately what he's describing, yep. um, or what he's gonna be backing legislatively is a program that makes it harder to survive for most people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one's asking for that. Uh, Surprisingly. No normal but, people are asking for that. But, uh, only your oligarch donors. But get get ready for it, folks, because this is what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to use the debt limit and exploit that, and they're going to risk a, a global recession to try to steal from seniors. And that's the that's the that's the thing that's the thing that they're going to try to do uh, is there but by using the debt limit because what's going to happen if the, if we well we actually really don't know what's going to ha- what would happen if the U.S. defaults on our debt because we've never done it before but it has the potential to um, to cause a global recession and so it's worth understanding what they are risking a global recession for and that is to take money from seniors. And I couldn't help but think as you were saying that and like kind of laying out the stakes. Is that the kind of guy you trust <laughs> to be at the helm? You know, that right. that gentleman there who thinks people are asking to work longer, that's the type of individual we have in negotiations that could lead to a global economic meltdown. Uh, not very reassuring. No, can't say so. Uh, so, uh, just all the more reasons why uh, we, as everyday working class folks, got to look out for each other. Yep. And with that, uh, with that being said, appreciate everybody's time. Thank you for hanging out with us through the technical difficulties. If you're listening to this on the podcast, hopefully you will not have noticed those. And if you are listening to us as a podcast, please do remember to. Um, to favorite or give us five stars, share with your friends, all of those things. Um, If you're listening to us on YouTube, like, subscribe, all of that. Uh, And with that being said, we will see you next week.